this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampat joe biden has just concluded his first visit to the middle east as american president His four-day visit included stops in Israel, the West Bank and Jeddah in Saudi Arabia where he held talks with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and attended a meeting with Gulf Cooperation Council member states. What exactly was the purpose and agenda of Biden's tour? Is it about normalizing relations between Israel and the Arab states? Is it about mending relations with Saudi Arabia which took a nosedive after the murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi the journalist? Or is it about Saudi Arabia? Is it about getting Saudi Arabia to increase its oil production given the rising fuel prices at home and the impending midterm elections we explore all these questions in today's in focus where we will be speaking with stanley johnny the hindus international affairs editor stanley thank you so much for joining us thanks ambar uh, stanley to start with uh, what according to you was the objective of biden's visit to west asia and how successful was he uh, do you think in achieving that objective I think uh, regarding the objectives see uh, I think Biden had two clear foreign policy objectives in West Asia at this time so put it simply energy security and regional security so regional security means see when Biden became president he had promised to revive the Iran nuclear deal etc etc and uh, he had also appointed a special envoy for the Middle East and the iran nuclear talks have been going on in vienna the vienna talks collapsed without producing any results and then qatar hosted another round of talks which also kind of hit an impasse after that so uh, biden is realizing that it is at least for now uh, he is facing difficulties in reviving the nuclear deal also because the administration his administration is not ready to make some compromises uh, iran also appears to be appears to have taken hardline position uh, on certain issues so the iran nuclear deal is not happening at least for now so in west asia if you look at west asia america has two pillars in west asia uh, israel and the arab world so they were coming closer after the trump administration's abraham accords so iran if the iran nuclear deal is not materializing and if iran keeps enriching more uranium and building advanced centrifuges that poses a foreign policy challenge to the biden administration so i think biden sees that at this moment they have to promote further integration of israel in west asia or further strengthening the partnership between israel and the arab countries so this is largely uh, aligned with the biden administration's views on regional security in west asia so i think one objective is this to accelerate this integration of israel in the region with the arab world and secondly of course biden administration you know is facing enormous domestic pressure after the ukraine after russia's ukraine invasion and the subsequent western sanctions on russia energy prices have rocketed and uh, more sanctions are going to kick in the european union sanctions on russia which could pump up the prices again further and biden's approval rating i just saw the reuters story this morning biden's approval rating is 36% which is abysmally low in the united states and the democrats are facing a midterm election inflation is uh, at a 41 year high 9.2 percentage 
So this is not only about the United States, it is also about Europe. Look at Europe. Macron has lost his, his parliamentary majority. In Italy, the government has is collapsing. A prime minister has offered to resign. In Britain, Boris Johnson's government is also falling apart. So this cost of living crisis, the inflation crisis is having its political effect on Western governments and societies. So, of course, what the Biden administration wants is to persuade Saudi Arabia, which is one of the very few countries that have spare capacity to pump up crude production, to persuade Saudi Arabia to produce more, to pump more oil into the international market. So what Biden wants is, you know, such an increase, uh, with such an increase, he wants Saudi Arabia to cool the prices of energy, energy prices in the international market. I think these two are the main objectives because the other two countries with spare capacity, Iran and Venezuela, both are under sanctions. And Russia is one of the largest oil producing countries in the world, which is also under sanctions. So the United States doesn't have any other options but to turn to Saudi Arabia. So I think regional security and energy security, these two are the main objectives of Biden's West Asia trip. So you spoke about uh, regional security as one of the main objectives and, uh, and, and in that context, you spoke about the agenda of bringing uh, its two pillars of regional security, the Arab states and uh, Israel closer together. But there is a big elephant in the room here in terms of bringing the Arab states and Israel together. And that is the elephant is, is a fairly large elephant, which has been missing in this. Any mention of it has been missing in this particular tour to a large extent, that is Palestine and the Palestine peace process. I mean, the U.S. has largely been sort of, it's, it's every Middle Eastern kind of tours and debates have been preoccupied with the Israel-Palestine issue for a long time now. But in this particular visit, there's hardly a mention of it, even though Biden did visit West Bank and he did have a meeting with the head of the Palestinian Authority. But there's hardly any mention of it, uh, of the peace talks resuming and of resolving this question of uh, a two-state solution. So is Palestine issue no longer a priority for the U.S. in the Middle East? Is it just uh, on the back burner for sure? Because if they are going to expect Saudi Arabia to play along and become closer to Israel, Saudi Arabia will have to contend with a backlash until and unless the Palestinian issue is resolved, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I think the Palestine issue is no longer a priority for the United States, for Washington. In the past, American presidents had invested themselves in the Israel-Palestine issue, even though they remained favorable towards Israel, and Israel is America's biggest ally in, uh, in West Asia. But still, they were pushing. American presidents in the past had pushed for a solution, like Jimmy Carter or even Clinton, who hosted the Camp David talks. President George W. Bush, his Maryland conference, and uh, Obama had the Kerry peace plan. But I think since Obama, Obama's Kerry, John Kerry peace plan, it, since it failed to take off, then Obama spent his energies on the Iran nuclear deal. He overlooked the Palestine issue after that in his second term. And then President Trump, he what he called the, the deal of the century. He came up with some proposal which had completely ignored the Palestinians. So that's what uh, the Kushner plan, the Trump administration's Israel-Palestine proposal. When it comes to Biden, Biden doesn't even touch up on the Palestine issue. Yeah, he crossed the border. He crossed the Israeli checkpoints, went to Palestine, went to the West Bank, met Abu Mazen, and then he announced some aid, you know, whatever, some $200 million or whatever. But then Biden also said that the ground situation is not ripe for the revival of the peace talks. He was very careful not to utter a word criticizing Israel. And this is, uh, you know, the occupation is 
going on at a, it is very violently going on almost on a daily basis palestinians are being shot at including an american citizen shirin abu akleh a few uh, weeks ago a, a journalist so biden uh, didn't criticize uh, uh, israel in uh, in the west bank so he also said this is not the time to revive the peace talks and uh, his focus has been as we discussed on on other issues like energy security and iran etc etc so clearly if you look at it from that point of view israel palestine issue uh, is no longer a priority and biden is actually i think building on the trump proposals uh, on west asia like one of the i think political effects of the abraham accords which were signed under the aegis of the united states under the aegis of the trump administration was that the arab countries and israel can normalize their relationship even when israel continues the occupation of the palestinian territories the uae normalized ties uh, morocco did sudan did bahrain did uh, which arab country would be next we don't know but still it's it's message the most important message is that arab countries are now ready to have normal diplomatic relationship with israel irrespective of israel's continuing occupation of the palestinian territories as a part of the abraham accords uh, where arab countries uh, sort of moved to normalize relations with israel even while the occupation continues did israel have to make any concessions on its side for this kind of an agreement to take place israel hasn't made any concession on palestine for this agreement to take place zero nothing in fact the occupation is becoming deepening uh, on the palestinian territories you see the kind of violence that is now unleashing uh, in the west bank or the bombing on gaza so what was the reason for the arab countries to agree to the abraham accords if there is no concession from israel on any front they just unilaterally agreed no i think bilaterally the issues is that uae and even saudi arabia they had cultivated ties with background contacts with israel for a long time so this was this has been going on for some time that is i mean bilaterally and if you look at it from a regional point of view they also uh, see that you know the, the arab countries see especially the sunni arab kingdoms the gulf kingdoms they see iran as a common foe and israel also sees iran as a major their most important geopolitical rival in in the region and arab countries also see that I mean, I'm talking about the Gulf kingdoms like Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Bahrain. Does this mean that the rising influence of Iran has been detrimental to the Palestinian cause in a way? Because if it's getting marginalized in the thinking of the Arab kingdoms, does it mean Iran's rise has not been good for Palestine? So you know, you can't. I mean, uh, you can't say uh, like that because Iran's Iran's rise is a natural rise, and Iran is the only country which is still now supporting the Palestinians through uh, financially or militarily, uh, etc. etc and arab countries they had remained they had a uh, you know diplomatic proposal for the creation of the palestine etc etc but beyond that the arab countries what what have they done for the palestinian cause for the last uh, for, for or in recent past so uh, but they see iran as a common challenge and then realign realigning their foreign policies i don't think that you can you can blame iran for bringing I mean uh, for uh, you can say that the rise of Iran is detrimental to the Palestinian cause on the other side you know Iran remains committed it could be for its geopolitical advantage because Iran is Iran sees both Israel and these countries and Saudi Arabia as its regional rivals so it might be finding it convenient to support the Palestinians or use the Palestinian cause 
to gain some kind of moral uh, you know supremacy in the region but my point is that iran at least stays committed to supporting the palestinians in one way or the other other side but at the same time it is uh, you know iran's rise is bringing together these two countries closer so uh, if uae which was part of the arab proposal of 2002 uh, in which the arab countries led by saudi arabia had said that they would normalize ties with israel only if israel uh, you know agrees to the creation of a palestinian state or only if the two state solution materializes that's what the uh, arab proposal states and uh, if the uae and bahrain do not respect that and they are ready to have direct relationship with uh, israel surpassing this i think it is uh, we should look at it through the foreign policy realignments of uh, the uae or or this particular countries there is no point in saying whether the rise of a particular country or of a different country is detrimental to the palestinian cause right so the other pillar of uh, the other main agenda of biden visit which you mentioned was energy security so has saudi arabia uh, made any kind of uh, commitment to the us administration about increasing its production of oil or increasing its production capacity in the near term so uh, mohammed bin salman while talking at the summit the arab us summit said that saudi arabia would seek to increase its production to 13 million barrels a day So at this point of time I think the Saudis are pumping in 11 million barrels a day. So Saudi Arabia has an immediate spare capacity of 1 million barrels a day so they can pump it you know to 12 million barrels immediately. But then to make it 13 the Saudis say that they need to make further investments which means it would take time. But they can at least on paper they can increase production by 1 million barrels a day immediately. So which means 12 million barrels. that is i think possible that's what the saudis have committed the americans haven't given any numbers but both the blinken and the biden and and president biden himself they said that the saudis have agreed to pump up production so it's possible that the saudis uh, uh, could pump up production by at least 1 million barrels a day immediately but the big question is is that enough because uh, you know russia is producing as much as saudi arabia does which is 11 million barrels a day oil and the eu sanctions eu has uh, you know planning to phase out the russian oil imports by december 90% and not just that eu has also proposed to ban all the insurers carrying uh, all the insurers from selling cover to the tankers carrying russian oil if those sanctions are implemented that would take out russian oil substantial chunk of russian oil out of the market which means prices would uh, some some estimates say prices could go up to 300 a barrel in the international market i hope it doesn't happen but this i mean even the united states is wary of the eu decision of banning insurance cover for russian fuel that's why they came up with an alternative proposal of capping the russian uh, oil in the international market while at the same time letting the russian oil uh, flow into the market so it's a very complicated picture right so if you are taking out the russian oil 1 million barrels a day is not going to do any help so that is the reality but what i think president biden is doing i don't think there is a clarity on either side on any side the russians are scrambling for markets they are selling more oils to india at cheaper rates to india china even to saudi arabia to run its power plants at, at uh, cheaper at cheaper rates and the americans are scrambling for uh, higher production that's why they are pushing everybody to pump up production 
But apparently, you know, at the G7 summit, uh, we heard uh, President Macron telling President Biden that UAE is at its maximum uh, capacity level. It doesn't have any spare capacity. He was caught on the mic telling Biden. So this is a very complicated picture. So whether Biden managed to get assurances from Saudi Arabia, so I think the Saudis may be willing to increase production by 1 million barrels a day. It is possible. But whether it would help to cool the prices in the international market if the West is planning to take out the Russian oil from the markets, I'm not sure about it. Right. So you're saying that the Saudis uh, may be open to increasing their production uh, by a million barrels a day. Uh, but then uh, coming back to the, the actual uh, status of relations between the U.S. and uh, Saudi Arabia. I mean, barely three years ago, uh, Biden, when he was a presidential candidate, he's, he vowed to make Saudi Arabia uh, within quotes a pariah state over the murder of uh, the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. And this week, uh, he was photographed fist bumping uh, with the Saudi crown prince. So that's a long uh, way from, from making Saudi Arabia a pariah state. So does this signal that the US is now somehow in a more desperate situation uh, that Saudi Arabia has the upper hand now? Because uh, basically, it's made the, the world's last or the only superpower come around to, to it uh, with you know, sort of uh, dropping its original hardline stance. Yeah, that's true. Because, uh, yeah, Biden had said this uh, during the campaign event that he would make the Saudis pay the price. And after becoming the president, uh, you look at the early decisions of the Biden administration. The administration said that it would end support for Saudi Arabia's war on Yemen. And then secondly, it said uh, it, it, it released the intelligence estimates, uh, you know, the assessment, the CIA assessment that it was Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who ordered the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. So all these things the Biden administration said. And now, one and a half years later, you see Biden in, in Jeddah. So uh, it is true that uh, the administration is a bit desperate now, desperate now because of uh, the geopolitical developments. I think, uh, yeah, one is, of course, this energy after the uh, Ukraine war, which has made it complicated. Interestingly, when Biden became president, he refused to talk to MBS. He talked only to the king. But then after the war, after the Ukraine war, he wanted to talk to MBS, but MBS refused to take his call. And Biden now says he didn't go to Saudi Arabia to meet MBS, just to meet MBS. He went to Saudi Arabia for the Arab-US summit. But at the end of the day, the president of the United States went to Saudi Arabia and met MBS, right? MBS didn't go to the White House to meet the president. And who, who welcomed uh, Biden at the airport? I mean, uh, the American ambassador... The Saudi Arabia's ambassador in Washington, D.C. and somebody else. The crown prince didn't go to welcome the, welcome the president, nor did the king uh, go there. When President Trump uh, went to Saudi Arabia back in 2016, 2017, the king himself went to welcome him. So, I mean, these are interesting facts if you look at how the relationship, what, at what stage the relationship is now. Because the Saudis, I think, have diversified their relationship. So uh, they have built warm ties with uh, uh, President Putin of Russia. They have also enhanced cooperation with China. So this is not 1945 when Roosevelt offered complete protection to Saudi Arabia as king uh, Abdullah has been uh, south. So the Saudis are also diversifying their relationship. And on the other side, the United States have uh, learned it the hard way that they can't just forsake Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, Biden 
uh, had said in the past that foreign policy will be at the center of our foreign uh, human rights will be at the center of our foreign policy. So uh, how do you look at it? Uh, you know, when Biden goes to the goes to West Asia, because Israel has been occupying the Palestinian territories for the last seven decades. And Saudi Arabia or Egypt, you look at any other countries, look at their human rights records. So neither the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territories nor the abysmal human rights records of the Gulf or Arab monarchs or dictators prevented President Biden from pursuing his foreign policy objectives in West Asia, right? So that is the power of realism, as we say. But unfortunately, the United States uh, keeps it for its allies. Right. I mean, I, mean, I, I guess uh, one could phrase it uh, as one commentator put, put it, the triumph of interests over values here in this visit. Now, you spoke a little bit briefly about how uh, President Trump was received in, in Saudi Arabia when he visited and how uh, that contrasted with Biden's reception. Now, uh, Trump's foreign policy has been widely criticized you know, as whimsical and based on completely transactional mindset, etc., etc., while we expect the Democrats to be more uh, driven by uh, principles either foreign policy principles or other uh, principles such as those of human rights, etc. So how do you see uh, the, the Biden administration's Middle East policy in comparison with that of the Trump administration, where uh, whose sort of one of the biggest moves it made was to unilaterally pull out of the Iran nuclear deal and uh, recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But uh, they, we expected that there might be some kind of a reset uh, mechanisms uh, that might happen, but there seems to be more continuity than a break uh, between the Trump and the Biden uh, foreign policy regimes. Yeah, uh, there could be differences in optics, but in essence, I think Biden's West Asia policy is Trump 2.0. It's the continuation of Trump's West Asia policy. Because you look at any aspects of Biden's uh, approach towards the region, Jerusalem is still the U.S., uh, you know, still hosts the U.S. embassy in Israel, in the Israel-Palestine issue. That's one thing. Secondly, Iran nuclear deal is still dead. So interestingly, the Iranians or even Americans at one point of time, they were both were keen to revive the nuclear deal. And uh, there are issues like Iran is asking for longer term commitments from the United States, which is unlikely to come because that has to come from the Senate, which is impractical. But at the same time, Iran was ready to strike a deal, provided that the United States removes the terrorist attack on the IRGC. But the Biden administration refused to do it. And this was a Trump decision. It was Trump which put the IRGC, uh, designated the IRGC, which is part of Iran's armed group, uh, Iran's armed forces. IRGC meaning uh, the Revolutionary Guard? Yeah, the Revolutionary Guard. So, uh, the Biden administration refused to do it. Uh, apparently, according to reports, this was the main problem, the main thorn in reviving the nuclear, in the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, and the Biden administration is also coming under enormous pressure from Israel, as well as uh, its uh, Gulf uh, allies, not to revive the Iran nuclear deal. So, Iran nuclear deal is dead. America's embassy is still in uh, Jerusalem. And the United States is now betting big on the Abraham Accords trying to bring Israel and uh, the Arab countries closer. Uh, so this is all uh, Trump administration's foreign policy moves, right? So Trump is coming through as a foreign policy genius now <laughs> compared to this administration. Yeah, yeah apparent, I mean, Trump transa Trump's uh, transactionalism is being followed here, clearly, because do you remember the Arab NATO Trump talked about? Trump went to Saudi Arabia, he met all the Arab countries, 
especially the anti-Iran uh, Arab bloc, and he was talking about uh, uh, you know an Arab NATO, etc., etc. So Biden's Arab summit is the continuation of that policy. He also met the Arab countries, all the um, you know most of the leaders of the Arab countries, and he promised that the United States is not walking away from West Asia. He also, I mean, in, in Israel, he said that the United States would do whatever it could do to stop Iran from getting a nuclear bomb. So clearly the focus is on Iran and the objective is, uh, the path is to bring Israel and Arab countries closer. Palestine issue has been sidelined completely. So everything is, everything suggests that it is Trump 2.0. Right. Uh, there are a couple of other small, uh, smaller uh, developments uh, in, in relation to this visit and the agreements which were signed, which I thought you could comment on. One is uh, the significance of Saudi Arabia opening its airspace for the first time to Israeli commercial airliners. And the other is uh, what has been known as the Tiran Island Agreement, which was signed. Can you explain uh, uh, both these factors? How significant are they in the larger scheme of things? Yeah, uh, I think opening up the airspace is uh, it's part of the tow in relationship which is still underway between the Saudis and the Israelis. Like the UAE, the Saudis had also cultivated strong ties with Israel, backroom contacts with Israel. So there were unconfirmed reports that Netanyahu had traveled to uh, Neom to meet the conference uh, when he was the prime minister. And recently, when Naftali Bennett was asked when uh, whether he met uh, whether he had met the Saudi Crown Prince, he refused to deny that report. He said, "I don't want to talk about it." In an interview with the New York Times, so so it suggests that uh, there there are even direct contacts with between the rulers of Israel and the and Saudi Crown Prince. But Saudi Arabia, for now, Saudi Arabia's uh, official line is that they would not normalize ties with Israel as long as the occupation continues. But it could change. I mean, this is the line of the king. So if the king departs, uh, if MBS becomes king, it is highly possible that the Saudi Arabia could also normalize ties. So if the, if that is the bigger picture, normalizing Saudi Arabia, because Saudi Arabia is the custodian of the two holiest mosques in Islam. So if you get the recognition from Saudi Arabia, that's a big deal for uh, the Israelis, right? So, uh, if that is the bigger picture, I think the opening up of the airspace is one of the small steps towards that bigger goal. And uh, another big step is this Tyran and the Sanafir uh, agreement. I think that has been formally announced, but Axios reported, Journal reported that Israel, in principle, has agreed to hand over uh, the sovereignty of these two islands to uh, Saudi Arabia from Egypt. These two islands are now controlled by Egypt. But uh, as part of the Camp David Agreement, 1978, so Egypt needs Israel's permission to hand it over to Saudi Arabia, which was originally Saudi Islands. So, uh, and the Americans and the uh, Israelis, uh, as well as the Egyptians, had some presence there, you know, as peacekeeping troops. So, as part of the agreement, I mean, which is which which is likely to be announced soon, the Saudis would get the sovereignty back of these two islands. And Israel has agreed to Egypt transferring sovereignty back to the Saudis. And the United States had brokered the talks between these three. So uh, in the larger scheme of Saudi Arabia and Israel normalizing relationship sometime in the future, this is a big step. And the opening of the air step is a small step. So you see several steps towards that bigger goal. Right. We're running out of time, Stanley. So one final question as we wrap up. So, you spoke briefly about how in the early days of the Ukraine invasion, the Saudi crown prince was not really available to talk 
uh, to take calls from the US president but he was uh, in regular touch with the Russian president Putin so uh, that was an interesting development at that point of time as well so is this visit an attempt by the US to sort of restore its influence in the region which may have been uh, sort of diminishing in recent times amid fears that the geopolitical vacuum if it does withdraw from west asia uh, could be filled by the likes of iran russia and even china so is this an attempt to sort of stamp its presence once again yeah i think so i think so the, you see the united states even at the arab summit biden said that the united states is not walking away from the region so why did he say that because he knew that there is Uh, a perception in the region that the united states is walking away that's why he is trying to reassure them and uh, there are reasons for this perception right because uh, i think back in 2019 when saudi oil installations came under attack iranian drones attacked uh, saudi oil installations the united states did nothing in violation of the commitment the 50 year old commitment that the united states would always provide security to saudis in return for oil from the from saudi arabia the us did nothing also when um, uh, you know after that the houthis uh, from yemen they keep targeting saudi arabia uh, they they had also targeted the uae a couple of times so uh, the so called us security umbrella there are holes in the us security umbrella and the united states that is also because the united states having interfered in iraq libya and the failed bet on syria the united states doesn't want to get dragged into another conflict in west asia which is very clear and definitely not at this time when the american focus is on europe and indo pacific so this cre- this has created a perception of the us retreat or disengagement if if it's not complete retreat us disengagement partial disengagement from the region so what this visit is trying to do is that it is trying to reassure its allies that we are not going away but at the same time they re- i think the disengagement is real so the united states needs some kind of a mechanism in the region security mechanism in the region that would protect the order the existing order in which the us and its allies have an upper hand and that mechanism is israel and the arab countries coming together coming closer and that mechanism involves israel taking the role of a regional security provider they are they are already talking about a middle east defense agreement which means the israeli uh, missile shields including iron dome and other missile shields would be providing a joint protection you know a kind of a, a missile defense protection towards the gulf coast as well so my sense is that this is in anticipation of you know a future direct conflict between israel and iran because if the iran nuclear deal collapses and if iran continues to enrich uranium and and if iran moves closer towards achieving the capability the nuclear capability then it is highly possible that there could be an open conflict so in that event what the united states and israel and even the arab countries are now doing is to bolster the security cooperation between israel and the gulf arab countries which means israel is now assuming a bigger responsibility as a regional security provider as the united states is slowly disengaging from the region so i think this is what is happening now yes biden was there to reassure the allies that the united states is not abandoning the region but biden was also there to bring israel closer towards america's gulf allies to prepare them for the future conflicts right so your what 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 this all means probably would be that as there is sort of a measure of disengagement not 
complete disengagement but a measure of it the us would want to reassure its allies in the region that it's not going to step away from here and as it sort of withdraws a little it sort of seeks to build a mechanism and put it in place wherein israel plays a more leading role and the security of its allies remain as robust as it was earlier when the us was more actively involved thank you so much uh, stanley for sharing your thoughts and insights we'll probably come back to the region sooner than later Pleasure talking to you. Sure, Samta. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.